0: All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Studio B. Uh, I am your host, Pastor Holman. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. I'm excited to share new, um, some exciting opportunities that we have on this show today. But make sure that you go to our Facebook, our Instagram, our Twitter, and our YouTube. Click subscribe, hit that little bell button to the to the right to make sure that you are up to date on all of the episodes that come out on Studio B. Today, 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 today. Uh, in the studio, we have a very, very special guest, and I know I say that a lot, um, but we have a very, very special guest in the house today uh, talking about a very, very important issue about economic development and home ownership. I have in the studio with me today real estate uh, chief executive officer and co-founder of Brooks and Davis Real Estate Firm, LLC, Mr. Michael G. Davis is in Studio B, man. Good to see you. How you doing? Man, I'm
1: fan-freaking-tastic to be here today. Oh, fan-freaking-tastic.
0: It's going to be hot today. I like that. So everything's going well in your life, man? Oh, man, it's phenomenal. It's a good time. Good, good, good. Um, Today, Mike, um, so if you kind of trace what we've been doing over the last few weeks, we've been kind of uh, not kind of, but we've been very, very particular about the podcast that we are uh, showcasing and the uh, the guests that we're asking to come on, that they offer a particular perspective or expertise in whatever given field that we may be discussing. Absolutely. And you being a real estate guru um, and having your own, uh, your real estate firm. Um, you understand this important, under, this important aspect about home ownership. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that we're going to be talking about today and kind of dispelling some of the myths that are around. But I want to first kind of get your idea, your 30,000-foot view about today's events. Yeah. What's your ideas about what's going on?
1: Uh, you know what, man? I think, you know, there's, a, there's prime opportunity. Uh, in this country uh, As a black person In this country To be able to take advantage Of some of the uh, I guess financial stimuli And things that are Kind of flowing through uh, and But the reality is Is that This is going to be One of those opportunities Where you realize Or where you see That it's not just About the handout Like it's not just About you getting the money Like once you get the stimulus Once you get the resources If you haven't been taught Or trained On what to do with them Or how to manage them Right That even takes us hey. back To the Bible yeah, yeah If you haven't been taught On how to manage this stuff Then it's going to be Here today Gone tomorrow So Um A lot of the message that I'm sending out to people is, is that, yeah, man, it's great to where's my stimulus check or where's my unemployment or where where's this money flowing in? But you need to educate yourself. So now you're not in the same predicament that you were in prior to
0: getting access to what the government is wanting to do. So with that, Mike, let me let's jump right into this, because we are graduating people out of high school, 12 years worth of school. We're graduating them out of of college an additional four years of school graduating, graduating them out of, you know, postgraduate school, additional four, eight years. But in all of that, we're not teaching a financial basis, right? There's no economics class. I mean, we learn about economics, but we don't learn about the basics about how to handle a checkbook, the difference between a credit card and a debit card. We don't understand those type of nuances. And so many um, people find themselves, you know, kind of going through life, trying this and trying that. Yeah. And we all got our own story. We all got our own stories, and, and me and you are no uh, exception to that rule. But as you try to look at what's going on right now um, in this particular culture, how do we educate ourselves so that when those opportunities do present themselves, yeah. we are ready to take advantage of those opportunities?
1: I mean, You know what? And it's not as challenging as... I mean, I'll start with a story about myself. It took me years before I even knew what money management looked like, Mm -hmm. right? And and it wasn't because I wasn't trying to understand it or figure it out, it was just, I just hadn't connected the dots with it. When in reality, it's something as simple as count your money every week, Mm. right? Look at how much money you made that week, look at what bills you're going out that week, and then do like a finance meeting once a week. Once I started doing that with my company, and then I translated that and started doing that at my house on Sundays, spending about an hour just kind of going through how much money came in, what's forecast to go out. That's when I really start seeing change and start seeing things as 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 money begins to build up you start realizing that there's a lot of crumbs
0: yeah, that are yeah. going out yeah yeah that
1: you just yeah, yeah. you just didn't know you start you start shoring, shoring up these gaps and then once that happens then you'll start having that disposable income there's a game called cash flow and I would I, me and my friends we would pay it i mean colleagues of mine that are in business things like that we would come in and kind of help with our business acumen um, but the one of the things about the game is, is that yeah, they'll, you you know, as you go around, they call it the rat race. You'll build this money up, this disposable income. to invest in stocks and real estate and things like that. But you're taking for granted of they've already done the hard work for you. They freed up the cash. Well, in reality, most of us we, we're spending all the money that we make, so mm-hmm. we never have the money to do things like. Economic uh, economic development, or saving up for a down payment for a house, or paying down debt, or whatever. Like we've never positioned our finances to in a to a point to where we're spending less than we make, and we have that that freed up cash to do something with it.
0: So me and you have talked offline that there is this stigma that is attached to, and maybe I can't speak for any other culture. So let me just speak specifically to the African American culture. There is this stigma that is attached to finances and black people that oftentimes goes um, untalked about. Mm-hmm. And so there's this embarrassment. So if a person is 40, 50 years old, uh, we say things like, well, you should be better off than where you are right now. Right. Um, and the point of the matter is, is that maybe that may be true. And in a lot of cases it is but the education to be better off was not necessarily there. And so a lot of people are kind of going through life just kind of picking and choosing, well this will work, this doesn't work, and kind of making that lifestyle fit themselves. One of the things that I was taught very on, now I'm 47 years old, uh, I didn't learn about money management or really proper money uh, money management until I was 30. Mm -hmm. So I'm into my 30s and, and I start figuring out this whole money game. And I remember my mom told me one time, she said, I want you to write down every dollar that you spend, no matter how insignificant it is. Yeah. When you get paid on this day until the next time that you get paid, take a little b- a little thing of sticky notes and write down every single dollar that you spend. Yeah. Whether that's, you know, a $5 meal at McDonald's or a Coke or whatever the case may be. And I remember coming back at the end of that two weeks and looking at it. And Mike, from the time that I got paid to the time that I was getting paid again, I spent almost $300. <laughs> And those little crumbs. Yep, them crumbs. You yep. know, a little McDonald's here, a soda there. Now, if you just multiply that times two, that's six hundred dollars a month. Yep, that's seven thousand dollars a year yep. on crumbs. Yep. And because it's not big, significant amounts of money, I really didn't see them going. Yep. But you know, the Bible says in Song of Solomon too that it's the small foxes that spoil the vine. Absolutely. And so when we're talking about financial and money matters, that's not something that we like to talk about in the African American community because we don't have that kind of knowledge. Right. So one. One of the things that I want to talk to you about today is the aspect of how to build that Um, financial portfolio. Okay, And I think the conversation has to be genuine. Many people have heard this about me. I mean, I tell my story. Uh, Me and my wife were on WIC. Um, You know, I filed for bankruptcy in 2003. Um, So I've been down that road of not having, of having to, you know, put pennies together to make sure that the ends meet. Uh, We've been there. We've done that for small children. Uh, We've had to watch every single penny. We've been there. Um, but the idea of staying in that place was something that was never comfortable for me. Right. And so surrounding yourself with people and information and knowledge that can help you get out of that place, I think, is something that we need to be talking about. So in economic development, what's one of the things that you would put forth in grassroots efforts about how to improve your financial condition? So, <clears throat> I mean, I, I think it all begins with the mindset.
1: Like, one of the things that really stood out to me from what you just said is is that it was uncomfortable for you to be, to be in that particular state. So you decided that I don't want this for my family. Mm. This is not what I want, right? And I have a similar story as you do, you know, when— uh, with me and my wife, it hasn't always been like this. Mm. You know, there was a time I, I recall when my youngest daughter was born, you know, and look, my wife may not be wanting me to share all this <laughs> to your audience, but, you know, I think, it, you know, that shame is real powerful. And I think hearing other people's stories and testimonies, even the Bible says that it offers a level of strength and courage to others. Amen. Uh, you know, when my youngest daughter was born, we were, me and my other, my two oldest children and my wife we were staying with my sister-in-law in her one-bedroom apartment, mm. right, before we transitioned into a home. Um, we, were, we were on WIC before. We've had food stamps, right? Um, there was a time where my wife was bringing in more money into the household than I was bringing in mm. to the household, where my wife was just, like, begging, like, just bring something, right? So we've experienced that. But I had that transition that you had. And I, I said, this is not what I want for my family. Yeah, yeah. And because this is not what I want for my family, it's no, it's no longer leaning on my wife. It's no longer relying on my, my parents or the government. I'm going to make a change. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to do something yeah, about it. Yeah, okay. Um, as the man of the house, right, as the patriarch, I'm going to do something about covering and protecting my family as a man. And that right there spurred the change. That 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 relying on God, that spurred the change in moving into creating a trajectory to build towards now beginning to create that economic development, get on that trajectory mm-hmm. to where the finances become to get in order. So it starts with so, the
0: mind. And so you made a personal decision. Yeah. Uh, for you and your house. I mean, we say that we kind of throw that scripture against the wall all the time. You know, Joshua 24 and 15, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. But you made a personal decision, and you started to change some some habits in your life. I mean, it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to put the perspective of the practices in place in order to change. And I think, Mike, and we're going to speak on this in just a little bit, but we are living in this kind of culture right now to where we want everything right now. Right now, immediately. Immediately. Um, but the path to financial freedom is not an immediate path. No. Like it takes a long time. And then even some of that time, you don't even necessarily see the wheels moving. Right. Right. Oh, I just paid another bill. <laughs> I just paid that down. OK. Yeah, yeah. You don't really see the wheels kind of moving. And so people kind of get discouraged. That's right. That it's not as fast as I would like it. So how would you speak to a person that says, yeah, I get that, um, but I want it right now? Yeah. I mean, you got to get that. You got to learn how to build that anticipation into
1: your life, right? One of the things that I can remember is, is that when we first went to Disneyland, and we had never been, nobody had ever been to Disneyland before, but... When we was packing to go to Disneyland, we was excited, Yeah, (laughs) right? When we was in the car driving to the airport, we was excited. When we was in the airport, we was excited. When we was on the way to the hotel, like the whole journey to the destination, we was excited. It was a level of anticipation to what we was about to experience. And that's how we got to look at financial freedom. It's a whole new world like you got you gotta build that vision in your mind of what that's gonna look like for you and your life and right. your family and you got to constantly see that you know I talked about once a week I look at my finances but also once a week I look at my ultimate life vision yeah right yeah. once a week I look at my ultimate purpose of why I'm doing all of this so my vision is what it is I'm trying to achieve in life. Right? And then my purpose is why. Who's that going to be impacted? How are we going to impact that? And then I look at the different categories, the areas of improvement, that if I'm ever going to achieve that, these are things I, got, I constantly got to grow in. I look at that stuff every week to continue to build that anticipation and that excitement going through
0: the journey because that's what's going to keep you moving. Now, when you do that, uh, you speak to something very important, and that's by, um, you know, getting the expectation in mind that, you know, it's kind of like that thing about sowing and reaping. Mm -hmm. You know, when you put a seed in the ground, it would be foolish for you to stand over that seed and watch it grow, right? right? (laughs) Day after day, you come back and you check on it. You know, once you put the seed in the right soil, the soil is going to take care of the seed. Absolutely. Right? And so it's just a matter of time before the seed does what the seed has been purposed to do. And I think that's a lot of ways in which we need to look at building our financial portfolio mm-hmm. and getting financially independent. But, Mike, I want to put something in your ear- in your hearing here because you are a real estate person. Mm-hmm. You know, the importance of right now buying a home. Yeah. Um, a p- couple podcasts ago, we did a uh, I did a uh, thing about um, Black Money Matters and okay. talked about in 1954 that one in four Black families owned a home, yeah, and had a car in the driveway. Mm-hmm. Um, those numbers right now are dramatically different. Um, we're talking about a 1954 pre Civil Rights Bill. Um, voting rights and all of these things that we had going on, Jim Crow laws and all that, you know, melee that was um, being forced upon our people during that time. But you saw a strong family unit. And I believe that that strong family unit was grounded uh, in the home. Yeah. And so speak to the point of um, home ownership and the importance thereof, uh, especially as it relates to um, African-Americans. So I I do
1: believe that the the family unit back during those times was the was the I guess the linchpin that really held all of this stuff together. You know, back then in our community the lead there was a lot of leadership, right? There was a lot of male leadership. Yeah. There's a lot of independence or accountability as it looked from the males and the patriarchs of the family, right? Well, over time, that's been removed. And there's been this level of dependence that's kind of infiltrated into our community. Yeah. Even if you look at some of the federal programs, yeah. like you know Section Eight, you know the requirements of well, you can't have a male in the house. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Okay, now you're going to start talking about <laughs> something. Just, like, <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm just but but you know you can't have a male in the house. You can't. There are certain family dynamics. You know, single parent children. The more children you have, the more assistance that you receive. That further perpetuates. Not an ownership standpoint, more of a rental or dependence mm-hmm. standpoint. It's, it's been it's, it's infiltrated in there, right? So as it relates to home ownership, there's a level of stability that comes from. There's a level of pride. That I'm we just talk talk we'll just talk about pride. Like when a person is confident and a person has pride, they behave differently. yeah. yeah. Right? When a person there's a sense of ownership then you know, that drives leadership. That drives the kind of habits and behaviors that that uh perpetuate somebody to a level of success. Um, when you when you remove that um that feeling, that emotion and and that narrative from an individual, then you can see it in the things that they do. And then based on what they do determines the kind of results that they get. So where we see black America right now, where we see as it relates to home ownership and the low numbers, because right now it's at about 42%. Mm. Uh, and, it, and you know we throw numbers and percentages out there, but in essence, what we're saying is, is that if, if I took 10 black families and brought them into this room, more of them mm. would rent than own a house. Mm. Like, that's, that's crazy. If, we, if, if we're gonna say that you're gonna be a part of the country, you need to own a piece of the country. And, you know, this is something I was thinking about this morning. If you want to know the kind of people that America cares about, it ain't black or white. Mm. It's not a black or white thing. If you want to know who they care about, then look at the tax code, Yeah. right? They yeah. care about business owners. Yeah. They care about homeowners. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's what we need to look at. And yeah. they care about people that have children. Mm. Like, look at the tax code. Look at the kind of benefits that they get. So it's, it's a formula.
0: So... get educated in the formula and begin to play. Now that is, that's profound because I think we need to kind of sit there for a second. So when you're looking at um, like where we're located, we are in apartment haven. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of transient people. Yeah. Um, You know, they go from, you know, deal to deal. And one of the, one of the disadvantages about moving frequently is the inability to establish stability. Yeah. And stability goes a long way. Uh, any study will tell you this. When a child is more stable, they are more uh, economically advanced, more educationally advanced um, in their adult years. So so, so the numbers bear that out. So when you're going from apartment to apartment um, and from this place to that place, you're going from school to school. The child has to get new friends upon new friends, Absolutely. you are creating an environment of instability yeah. that will be played out in that child's adult years. Absolutely. And so when you're talking about home ownership, there's an economic benefit mm-hmm. to the home ownership, but I think you spoke of something very, very important, um, and that's the family dynamic of home ownership, yeah. um, especially in our culture right now, Mike, where you have, you know, 74% of all new births in the African-American community are two out-of-wedlock homes. Yeah. So we're already starting off on the backside. of that, Absolutely. that did, that's not a death sentence by any stretch of the imagination right. because people have come out on the other side of it yeah. however it is numbers that we have to pay attention to so not just looking at the economic benefit of owning a home yeah. owning a home but the actual family benefit yeah. of owning a home you know the white picket fence the per you know being able to play in your own uh, yard i think that there is a family dynamic to that that even in some cases outweighs the economic benefit well
1: i you know i'll speak to that right and you know, again, nothing against those that are single parent households Absolutely. and they, you know, they putting in the work. The reality is two incomes is more than one income. Yeah. Right. And a two income household has a different quality of life than a one income household. And a child growing up in a two income household experiencing that different quality of life is going to have a different Experience than the child that's growing up in that single income household and experiencing that quality of life. So if I know that there's a better environment, then for me, it feels like it's my duty to do what I can to place those that I love in that, in that type of experience and in, to, in that type of environment. It's a better experience owning a home, having your yard, having neighbors, versus living in an apartment where you got people above you, below you, to mm. the side of you, mm. like it's a better life experience. If my children are at, are at home studying, then we don't have to worry about noise mm-hmm. or the neighbors disturbing them. Everything is confined. Yeah. If I'm in an apartment, yeah. I don't have that, right? If, if, if I'm at my house, if there's some dis- some violence going on in one of my neighbors, we're still somewhat isolated. Mm. But if I'm in an apartment, we, we all gonna be So, we so all there's gonna no be a control there. I have no control. <laughs> I have zero control of it. I have ze- think about thinking about living in the uncertainty of things, right? If I own my house, can't nobody put me out. As long mm. as I'm paying my mortgage, as long as I'm paying my property taxes, it ain't nothing you can do, right? But guess what? I could be paying my rent. And then new property manager come in there and they can either go up on my rent, yeah. put me in a situation where I got to leave, or they just decide, look, we're not renewing. And you got to go. And there's nothing that you can do about it. Like So, there, yeah, absolutely it's more than just economics as it relates to home ownership. Matter of fact, I agree with you. I would say that it's much more than an economical impact in owning a home. It's more of a psychological, emotional impact. When you
0: actually have something that you own and that you can control. So, Mr. Michael G. Davis, this um, is—I have long respected this brother in the work that he does. You are—you got your degree in chemical engineering. Chemical engineering from uh, Prairie View. Absolutely from Prairie View University. That's where my daughter goes to school. Shout out PV uh, to PV. Um, But you have a passion for. passing information on to acquire the American dream. Absolutely. And that is home ownership. Yeah. Um, But why is home ownership so... um why is it so scary? Yeah. Like, like, why is the process of, uh, why is it more inviting for me to go and pay, you know, $800 over here in rent yeah. than it is for me to pay $1,200 in a mortgage? Yeah. I mean, what what, what, what about home ownership is so scary to, to a lot of people? Right, and and let me clarify something for you.
1: Right now, the way interest rates are, them numbers will be switched, hmm. right? You're paying $800 in mortgage and you're wow. paying $1,200 in rent. So, I mean, I will use again myself as an example, and this was in two. My daughter seven, so this was in two thousand and twelve. So we started renting our house, the one that we currently live in, that we bought. We were renting that house, and the rent went up to fifteen hundred dollars a month. Mm. So when the rent went up to fifteen hundred dollars a month, I was like, Nah, <laughs> <laughs> we had been in there a couple of years. I said, Man, we need to do something. So we looked into it. Then we really didn't know that we could. Um, if we could buy a house and never bought a house before. It was first time home buyers and all that. But we looked into it, say something got to change, was able to pull it off. And our mortgage, our rent was $1,500. The mortgage was (laughs) $1,050. And that included everything. That included taxes, (laughs) property taxes, insurance, principal, everything. We 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 immediately got a $400 raise.
0: Wow.
1: By going from buying, I mean, uh, renting that house to owning that house. And we're still in that house today. Have equity that's been built up. Now look, again, we talk about the shame. People shouldn't be, at at some point when you decide you want to do something different, just do it. Like Mm -hmm. forget what people are going to say or anything about it. I'm telling you the story about me buying a house. I was a realtor for 10 years. Yeah, yeah. I had, I was helping other people talking about buying a house and getting them in homes. And this was kind of my source of income and I had never bought a house. Mm. So it doesn't matter. Right. And don't think that 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 had crossed my mind and I had apprehensions around that. How I'm going to tell these people that's so hypocritical that I'm going to push home ownership and I don't even own my home. But so what? Right. Once you decide that you need to do something about it, do something about it. So as it relates to home ownership and, and why I'm so passionate about it is because because of this, there's a humongous wealth gap as it relates to this country, mm-hmm. and you and I both know this. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe you kind of quoted some statistics as it relates to it. Um, it's believed, depending on what study that you look at, that for every dollar that a white family has, African American family has only ten cents. Mm-hmm. Um, the the we're talking about hundreds of t- couple of hundreds of thousands of dollars discrepancy as it relates to wealth between white people and black people. Okay. So, but what someone said is that if we put every black person in a home, then that would deal with almost 30% of the wealth gap. Wow. If we just put if if, if those 60% of people that don't own a house, if they just got houses, then that would deal with almost 30% of it. And, and that's just looking at it from the economical standpoint of it. But I understand the, the other areas that we talked about as it relates to the family unit and the family and the children and the future. Again, it's a different experience from a child that, like you said, that's transient, moving around a lot, growing up in apartments versus one that's only been in one house. I grew up in one house that my entire life, I grew up in one house, and then even when I went to Prairie View and graduated and came back and still went to that house. And my mama still got that house. And my mama bought that house for like $25,000. It's worth right now like $140,000. Like, what other vehicle is gonna create that level of wealth? And we still have my grandmother's house. And I don't know how much they paid for that, maybe about seven, eight grand. And right now, it's worth about $130,000. We got a renter in it right now that's, rent, that's paying rental income. Like, there are no other vehicles out there that you can use that you can use for yourself. That was my grandmother's house. My mama grew up in that house. This was my house, the house that I grew up in. And now we can use those as vehicles to continue building wealth for my children and my children's children. Like there's no other
0: vehicle out there that I can see. So let me ask you, um, so Mike, so with that, when you're looking at this wealth gap, um, and, and let me preface this by saying that I believe that this is one of the prime opportunities to really talk about some things that we need to talk about. When you're looking at the wealth gap that exists between whites and blacks, um, a recent study that said, Pew Research has said, it would take about 228 years for black people to close that economic gap that exists between whites and blacks.
1: Yeah.
0: Ironically, it would take Hispanics only 84 years. Yeah. Right, to close that same gap. And one of the ways that people leverage their portfolio and their financial, um, their portfolio is by home ownership. Yeah. Um, there's many different ways that uh, white America transfers wealth down from generation to generation to generation. Absolutely. Um, and they're not very, you know, they're not very savvy. Of course, there are some, you got to know some of those things, but some of these practices and rules are, are very, very simple. Absolutely. And, and one of those things is home ownership, mm-hmm. you know, and, and passing down the value of home ownership. You spoke about equity in your home, using that equity to send your kids to college or to remodel your home or whatever the case may Absolutely. be. There's so many other, different benefits to it. But as you were talking about before, we're building that financial um, freedom and it being a slow process. Yeah. So, um, you know, so talking about the end goal being in mind, you know, you're talking about the, the value of anticipation. So in, in owning a home, there are certain things that you have to do on the backside of Absolutely. it. Absolutely. You know, we're talking about saving money. We're talking about, you know, rebuilding our financial credit. Mm -hmm. And those are not sexy topics to talk about. Right. Um, But those are things that we got to do on the backside if we're talking about owning a home. Absolutely. And so when you're looking at all these different dynamics that we have to do, I believe it's one of those things that we have to give the education um, to people to start doing these little small steps. Yeah. You know, that will ultimately get you to your end goal. But- Guess what? The reality is, is that the things that you just listed are not
1: that difficult. They're very simple, but they, they present themselves as larger than what they really are. Like the illustration that comes to mind is it's like the Wizard of Oz. Right before they pulled back the curtain, everybody was afraid of the wizard. Yeah. It was, <laughs> he like, the wizard was yeah, the, the wizard was huge. Was like oh my god, we better not do nothing. But then they pulled back the curtain. And it's like oh man, it's just this little puny guy back here. So these insignificant details that loom so large in the beginning. Once you go through the process of preparation and getting there and what's required, you realize that it's not as difficult as possible. But the reality is is that the reason that it seems so difficult to people is because they've never done it. Mm. Like if you've never done something before and you haven't aligned yourself with from a level of guidance, then, yeah, it's going to be scary. Uh, and that fear is what prevents people. But the again, the the solution, the simple solution is is if you want to buy a house, forget about what your credit is, or forget about if you got enough money saved up. Forget about all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Go contact, connect yourself with a realtor or a real estate professional, and ask them. Hey, I want to buy a house. What needs to, What do I need to do? What needs to happen? And that right there, that small step, will begin the journey, especially if you pick the right realtor, right? And so let me clarify. Uh, it's 40,000 licensed professionals in our Metroplex, they all not good, Mm -hmm. right? So it's possible that you may pick the wrong one, but get you somebody that's gonna walk you through the process, just say, hey, look, man, I wanna buy a house. Will you hold my hand through the entire process, whether it takes 30 days or 30 years? Will you hold my hand through the process? And there are some out there that will do it. Like my wife, she's a testament. Love it, She'll sure, sure, hold their hand. I'm not so much. That's why I'm the CEO and not the realtor no more, right? But get you a realtor that's gonna do that for you, and I promise you it exponentially decreases that fear, and you'll look up one day and you'll be in your home and you'll realize,
0: oh, that wasn't so bad. So you're talking about first steps. Mm-hmm. And, Michael, let, let, let's free some people here. Okay. Um with that because I believe that is absolutely so crucial and I want to make sure that I'm looking at the camera when I tell you this I I don't care where you are at what mistakes that you've made in life if you're breathing on this side of God's green earth you still have tremendous opportunity to do some great things in life Um, but that first step is most of the time the most challenging step and we talked about the stigmatism that is a that is attached to it the shame um, that is attached to, it. and I believe that that has a lot to do with how we compare ourselves to other people. Yeah, and um, maybe that may be comparing myself to my contemporary or comparing myself to my family member or whatever it may be. But that initial first step. Yeah, when they come in and say, "Hey, okay, I, 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 I want to buy a house. Want to buy a house? Here it is, good, bad, and ugly. Yeah, show me what I need to do. Yeah, I think that point right there, that first step, is a huge obstacle for a lot of people because you got to get beyond so much going on in your mind, Mm -hmm. what people are going to say about you. I'm 50 years old. I don't have a lot of money saved in the bank. My credit score is not so great. I've done this. I've done that. And so now you have to be, you have to deal with all the criticism that's on this piece of of paper. But the first step of just saying, hey, this is where I'm at. This
1: is where I'm at. I believe is a
0: powerful step um, for anybody to get to. And then once you get past that step, the rest, as you say, kind of just kind of runs down. Absolutely. It, it's, it's easy as pie.
1: And, you know, some of it, some of the onus, though, I have to take on the real estate community as well, because like you said, it it takes a lot to build up enough courage to take that first step. So there are individuals out there like in our community that have done that, but they went to the wrong professional. Right? Mm-hmm. And that professional was like, oh, man, your stuff is bad. Yeah, come back to me when you get your stuff together. Or, uh, yeah, it's nothing that I can really do. Or they just kind of brushed them off. Like these people came in a vulnerable state mm-hmm. and they weren't nurtured. Right, so it kinda, So now for them to do it again, mm. now it makes it yeah. even more challenging. Yeah. So we see a lot of that in the industry as well is people got burned when they came, when they got there. But but look, you gotta do it again, right? You know, I, we obviously wanna be empathetic to the person's situation, but I love you too much to let you continue to stay in a situation that I know is not best for you, when I clearly know that there's something out there better for you. So now I gotta ins- empower you and inspire you to move past Um, Those initial concerns Those initial fears To get you through The promised land
0: Now you said Empower and inspire And those are two powerful words that I think are not talked about enough in our culture right yeah, now. Absolutely. We have to be able to empower people and empowering people is not necessarily helping. Um, there's a there's a very fine line between helping and hurting. Absolutely. Um, because if you help a person too much, you initially what you'll wind up doing or eventually what you'll wind up doing is crippling that person. So mm-hmm. what started off as a very good idea, mm-hmm. um, we talk about social services. Yeah. Uh, great idea. Yeah. You know, there's some disenfranchised, some, some lower economic people. We need to make programs Uh, to help these particular people out started off as a great idea until it became a crutch. Absolutely. And so there's a difference between helping somebody and empowering somebody. When you empower somebody, you not only want to see them come out, but once they get out, you want to see them soar. Absolutely. And they can only soar when they have the right information and the right tools available. Absolutely. So when you talk about home ownership, Michael, and especially in regards to how you can build your wealth, uh, there's a thing in which I believe that we ought to be talking about in our community that says well as a community
1: mm-hmm.
0: in 2020 there's never been a more prosperous time in our history yeah as a as as an american as an african american whatever uh, box you want to put that in yeah. okay there's never been a more prosperous time uh you are a black entrepreneur absolutely And with that, with being a black entrepreneur, there comes some stigmatisms to it. Uh, We've (laughs) talked about this off camera. Absolutely. You know, we are encouraged to go and uh, frequent the black-owned business, Mm -hmm. but there are times in which we go and frequent the black-owned business that we don't give the black-owned business the leeway that we would give a non-black-owned business. That's right. So a black-owned business only got one time to mess up.
1: (laughs) And you might not have that.
0: (laughs) See, that's why I don't go there. See, that's why I don't deal with them. Yeah, reinforce the stigma. But you know, as well as everybody else watching, how many times you've gotten bad service from McDonald's. Absolutely. But guess what? You went right back to McDonald's. Absolutely. So this idea of this black entrepreneurship in which you are a part of being, uh, having your real estate company, speak on some of the challenges that are associated with being a black-owned business. Absolutely.
1: So, uh, you know, as a my my fellow entrepreneurs may not take the stance that I stand. Like, I never come from a a place of victimism, right? Like, oh, man, I can't succeed as a black business owner because they won't support me. Y'all won't support me. Mm. That don't matter to me. Mm. Because my thought is is that if the value that I'm providing is so good then like you said even if I get bad service at McDonald's I go back because it's something in them fries (laughs) 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 right yeah so as an entrepreneur and as a leader because I feel like the entrepreneurs the business owners are the true leaders of community is what I believe Uh, and the reason I believe that is is because there are circumstances that as an entrepreneur you have to overcome that most people never experience in their life. And because the entrepreneur and the business owner is able to push through that and able to stand in those circumstances and situations, there's a level of strength and courage that they have that others can get inspired and get juiced from. So if that's the case, then there are no excuses as a black business owner mm. you got to step up mm. right you got to refine your business you got to come you got to come to the table with something that will far surpass if you make that one mistake they give you that one shot and you and you mess it up but because of what you brought to the marketplace is so valuable they coming back they got to come back so because that's what i focus on then that's how we that's where we spend our energy and our time as far as making sure that we can be as valuable as possible, not just to black people, but to the market. Because the market drives success. In
0: Man, my you now you know you you know you don't know how comforting this is, <laughs> uh, Mike, to, to hear this because you know, there's this thing called perceived value. Yeah. And the perceived the perceived value theory says that whatever price you're looking at for whatever item you're looking to buy if you can't make a a split-second decision on that particular item for that particular price, then that particular item does not have the perceived value. Absolutely. right. So we have to be able to bring value, regardless of color, race, creed, religion, whatever it may be. And I'm so glad to hear you say that because as we're looking at right now in 2020, and we're looking at the economic advancement of black people. We're looking at uh, black people yeah. are more educated than they've ever been Absolutely. through the entirety of our of, of our existence. Um, we're seeing black entrepreneurship shoot through the roof. Mm-hmm. We're even seeing record numbers uh, of people doing great in, 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 uh, in the political realm. Uh, there are so many different things that we can point to as far as being um, advancement. And I think when I hear you say you got to step your game up. Yeah. Um, you know, at the end of the day. We have to step our game up. Absolutely. We can do better. And so that theory about how to, um, you know, plant a seed today and then the seed that I'm planting today, I have to be disciplined enough to water that seed Mm -hmm. and eventually allow that seed to come to pass. You're seeing this happen right now in your own business. What's one of the things that drives you in helping people to achieve this uh, American Dream. Absolutely.
1: So, you know, I've transitioned myself because what I really want to see now is that I want to see more people that look like me successful as realtors, right? Um, and because the more successful realtors that I have, the more Black people we can help get into homes because now we have that kind of realtor that is going to deal with these psychological. These myths, these preconceptions that the customer base is bringing to the table, we have somebody that can truly empathize with them, Hmm. right? Because as we sit back and say, oh, well, you know, white realtors, they want to steer you or, you know, you got redlining with the banks. Well, look, all of that stuff is happening because you don't have a representative at the table. Mm. But see, now if you have a representative that looks like you, that understands your nuances, understand, and, and can empathize with your situation, and has the level of patience to nurture you, then we can still achieve that same uh, the same goal. So, me as the the CEO of Brooks and Davis. My focus is more on training and preparing my realtors to be able to be successful in that kind of environment, to, to help that kind of customer out of the love that I have for my community. So um, everything that I do is somewhat for the advancement of my community, right? And just because I say that I'm I'm pro-black, that doesn't mean I'm anti-white, or yeah, I'm anti yeah. any other community. Yeah, yeah. I just take pride in helping my community. And especially if I don't feel as if anybody else is helping them, but guess what? I don't expect it. It's not their community, it's my community. So it is my responsibility to do something about it. We don't need a handout. So as I focus on building Brooks and Davis, because right now we got over 50 agents I'm looking to get to, you know, as I sit here at this table, my vision of where I want us to be is not the largest African-American brokerage firm in the United States or in the state, because right now we're the largest African-American firm in the state. Most people don't know that. Mm. That's that's 100 wow. percent independent, black owned brokerage firm in the state. We're the largest. But that's not what my vision is. My vision is to be the largest period, in profitability and production. And I know what numbers that, that, that has to achieve. We got a little over 50, but the, the largest firm has 4,300 agents. Wow. Right? So, but guess what? That, that gets me up in, you know every day. Let's go after something. Let's, 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 let's juice it. Let's do something about it. And I feel like that kind of energy and that kind of excitement, if we had more people bringing that to the African-American community, then there is nothing that will stop us from excelling. We do have to change our mindset and how we approach this thing uh, and what we bring to the table.
0: So, Mike, one of the things um, as we talk, and I'm so glad to hear you say this, Matt. I am so, so glad to hear you say this um, because wh- I have I'm on record. Mike is saying that uh, while America's not perfect,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: awards and all um, and all of the stuff that we got to deal with. Um, we have made tremendous strides.
1: Absolutely,
0: uh, Tremendous strides. The days of Martin Luther King, uh, Megan Evers, Malcolm X, uh, those who fought for a greater day for their people. Um, we are enjoying freedoms mm-hmm. that were one time just being dreamed about. Absolutely. And so the power to succeed in this day and age uh, absolutely at the fingertips of anybody who wants to grab it. But I think it goes back to what we've talked about in the, in, in the beginning. There has to be some personal accountability, some mm-hmm. personal reflection, and some personal decisions on on what I need to do. Um, in your story as well as in mine, um, I think one of them, the Bible says that we overcome the enemy by the word of our testimony and by the blood of the Lamb. Absolutely. So people need to hear that no matter where you are, you can start right there. Absolutely. No matter where you are, you can start right there. And I think w- one thing that we also need to start doing is redefining uh, this idea of success. Mm-hmm. Maybe success is not me having a million dollars. Maybe success is not living in River Oaks or you know being the CEO of a company. But maybe success is me providing a stable home for my family. Absolutely. Uh, maybe success is my children coming home to a two parent home. Yeah. You know maybe success is that, and we need to stop looking at success in definition of what the world says success is, mm-hmm. and really take some internal um, looks within ourselves. So well, let me ask you. Oh, but, go ahead. Before you say that, so,
1: you know, as it relates to that definition of success for people, and I agree with you, I think most of us just overthink it and then we discourage ourselves because of how we're comparing it. When they when Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence, right, which is when America decided they want to do their own thing. Mm. The thing that he said was for the for life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. So in my opinion, success is. What are you, what's gonna make you happy, mm. right? If a million dollars gonna make you happy, then go for it. He said the pursuit of it, yeah. chase it, right? Okay. But if two-parent household owning, you know, living, having your own home, if that's what make you happy, then go for that.
0: And then find comfort in that. You are a success. That is an excellent point. Um, the pursuit of happiness, because right now we're living in a malcontent society. right. Uh, We just, (laughs) you know, Paul said, if I got food, shelter, and clothing, then therefore I should be content. But um, those things are no longer contentful for us now. And so we're always looking at what the Joneses have and then trying to up the Joneses on whatever they just got. Thus gets us into a bad financial pickle. But let me ask you something as a black man. And I want to steer the conversation in these these last few moments that we have about— Success for the black man. Mm-hmm. Um, just allow me. Okay. Um, the, the, the the victimization of black America, um, the constant berating and the pictures that we see of black America. I'll give anybody that is watching um, a, a, a test. I want you to go to Google and I want you to type in doctor. And... 95% of all the results will be white men. White, white men. Go in Google and type in thug. Mm. And 95% of all of those images are black and brown.
1: Yeah.
0: Type in lawyer. White Type man. in scientist. Whatever you want. <laughs> whatever you want, whatever high affluent position that you, type that in and see the results that Google gives you. Wow. Well, that is perpetuated across so many different levels. Yeah. But as I bring people into Studio B, like a Michael G. Davis, who is uh, one who has decided that enough is enough, mm-hmm. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z for the betterment of me and my family, and you took progressive steps in order to do so, speak to somebody looking right now that may be in that position man. They. You know maybe they ain't over their head yeah. you know I don't really you know that sounds good, but that's just not for me,
1: yeah, absolutely, so again, you know, I always go back to you got to become crystal clear on what it is that you personally want to achieve. I want to do something as far as to move my community forward, period, but it can't just be lip service, and I think that's that's what determines if you're really about it or if you're just talking, right. So, it's one thing to have a desire to do something, but the question is, are you gonna do it? Are you gonna actually take action to achieve it? And if you're not gonna take action to achieve it, then stop talking about it because you really don't wanna do it. So, if a person's out there and they have a desire, say to purchase a home, if you have a desire, hopefully our show has shown you that you have a support system in place to help you achieve that. You just got to take a simple step of connecting, engaging in somebody. And the reality is, is that we're using the illustration of purchasing a home, but the reality, as far as it relates to black America, we can accomplish anything that we want to accomplish in this country. And there is a support system within our community that can help you accomplish anything that you want to accomplish in this country but you got to take that first step, and that's where the accountability fits with them.
0: Now, and to that, Mike, we have to get out of this place to where we are uh, demonizing people groups. As a as a Christian, um, I take a lot of heat by saying that you know my blackness um, is a temporary assignment. I'm going to be black from the time that I'm born to the time that I die. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to be a child of God forever. Absolutely. So I have to identify with my Christian beliefs and what I believe about the Word of God. I am a Christian who happens to be black. Now, some people may disagree with that in, in, in for whatever reason, uh, but I have to be shaped, my, my worldview has to be shaped by a biblical worldview. Absolutely. Um, because I am a child of God. I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I do believe um, that He is my Lord and my Savior, and thus... I have to form my social view according to my biblical view. Absolutely. And my biblical view is nothing is impossible for God. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, my Absolutely. biblical view is that when the enemy comes in like a flood, God will raise up a standard against him. I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. That's my biblical worldview. Yeah. And so my biblical worldview is sound. It must dominate my social worldview. Absolutely. My social worldview cannot dominate my biblical worldview. And so as a child of God, I believe that I have potential in me. Yeah. Now I do believe that with that potential are gonna come barriers. Absolutely. Obstacles, stuff we've got to get past, things that we gotta do. Yeah. But I have greatness on the inside of Absolutely. me because God put it on the inside Absolutely. of me. Absolutely. And so when you speak to um that that accountability and that belief. There comes a point in time in your life to where you say, I want better. Yeah. Now, with that, must come some actionable items Mm -hmm. to be better. Absolutely. So how do you get to the
1: actionable items? Absolutely. Well, again... You know, you know, before I answer that question, though, I want to kind of jump in with you as it relates to the Bible and and why the word of God is so important, why it's so important to read your Bible. Right. Because I think a lot of people just hear, oh, that's just another thing to do or another discipline. Right. Oh, you know, I'm just not good at reading the Bible. You don't understand the importance of it because you don't have to do anything to be inundated with what you see on TV, Mm. the billboards, the radio, these messages that you're getting about you as a black man. You don't do anything to receive those things. But if you read the Bible, then the Bible is the thing that contradicts these false narratives that you're receiving. And that's what puts that belief on the inside of you to where you do go and you champion against all odds because you understand that it's a false narrative. A lot of people are being bamboozled with the messages and the narratives is because they're not reading their Bible. That's a good word. And the, and because of it, they don't understand the greatness that they are. They don't understand who they were created behind. And they don't understand what they're capable of. You know. We always talking about us being able to uh, capitalize off of what our forefathers were not able to capitalize off of. One of them is reading, mm. and the reason they didn't want slaves to read is because the moment a slave read, like Frederick Douglass, yeah. he re- <laughs> he realized who he is. Like what no, <laughs> <laughs> right? He realized what he is, what he can accomplish, that he is a man, and then there's a level of greatness that comes out of that man. So that's why they didn't want you to read, but. You got to read the word. So now, to jump into your question as it related to, what was your question? The actionable items. The actionable items. All right. So I think I told you this earlier when we were talking last week. That's the easy stuff, right? The actionable items is is that you first get with somebody that's going to consult. And then they're going to lay out the map. Because it's case by case, like it depends on your situation. Like where are you as it relates to credit? Where are you as it relates to savings? Where are you as it relates to um, ultimately what you want to achieve? So we can't just paint with a broad brush. Uh, but the first step is that you need to connect with somebody so they can prepare you for what you're wanting to achieve.
0: Now, to what you say, Mike, I want to I make sure that um, – the message is crystal clear Yeah. um, because you spoke of something very important that I think needs to be highlighted before we get out of here, and that is you are constantly being inundated with the message. Constantly. Uh, A message. Um, You know, we we, we don't understand the value. I was talking to my wife this morning talking about advertising agencies and the three biggest advertising agencies in the company. You know, the ones when you say... You know, uh, Johnson & Johnson and, you know, all of these Procter & Gamble, these advertising agencies that handle these mega companies. Well, everything about that advertising agency, every aspect of the commercial, the music, the lighting, the colors, are deemed for an end goal. Absolutely. Of getting you to believe a certain thing. Yep. And so you are inundated every single day to believe something. Yep. If you don't have something that can counter that, right? You're poor. You're disenfranchised. You're systematically oppressed. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do that. If you don't have something to counter that message, right? The love of God. Yep. That you can. Mm-hmm. When the world says that you can't, God says that you can. Right. When the guy, when, when the world puts a barrier up in front of you, I, I'm oftentimes remind I'm a pastor, so uh, David was called in First Samuel sixteen. At the tender age of 16. Yeah. To lead the nation of Israel. He was tending sheep, smelled like the sheep. Yeah. He was overcome. Um, he wasn't even thought of by his father. Yeah. Eight brothers look like kings. You got one more, said Samuel to Jesse. Yeah, but he's on, <laughs> he's in the back somewhere. Yeah. Go get him. And the Bible is very clear that as soon as he walked in the door, the horn of oil began to flow. That's right. So he got anointed at 16, but he didn't take the throne until he was 32. Right. And you got to imagine the seed that was planted in his life by Samuel at 16, Mm -hmm. but that it took 16 additional years for that seed to come to pass. And just imagine the obstacles. Yeah. I mean, we read about them. Saul was trying to kill him. Yep. His men abandoned him. David was acting like he was crazy. All of these different things that David had to go through. But I believe it was because he had a counter message. Absolutely. This is what my dad says about me. This is what my brothers say about me. But Samuel just came and said, I'm going to be a king. Absolutely. So he had a counter message. Mm -hmm. And so he could balance out all of this berating of TV and commercials about what God has said. Absolutely. And so as you look at your own life, uh, Mike, let me ask you, you've had to come overcome some issues to get to the level where you are. Absolutely. Uh, if you had to encourage somebody with some words today, what would that be? Read the Bible. <laughs> Read the Bible. Because <laughs> it's funny, it's funny that you brought David,
1: because David was my inspiration mm-hmm. to keep pushing. David was the thing that I held on to, to say, all right, we can overcome this, right? David got anointed at 16. He didn't become king until he was 32. Look, it's going to happen. It's going to take time. Keep pressing, right? So, yeah, my re- my absolute recommendation would be to absorb and read the Bible because that's going to give you the power to push through whatever this world can throw at you because the reality is as greater is he that is in us mm. than he, he that is in the, the world. world. I believe that. One wholeheartedly. So if that's the case, then the more I put inside of me as it relates to the word of God, I am more than a conqueror. There's nothing that can stop me from doing what I want to do.
0: All right. Mr. Michael G. Davis, uh, CEO, chief executive officer and co-founder of Brooks and Davis Real Estate Firm located here in Houston, Texas. Uh, Man, this has been such an insightful uh, podcast for me, man. I want to thank you. I want to publicly say um, that I have long since... um, treasured your journey, brother. Yeah. Um, uh, highly respect your worth ethic, ethic. And this is one of the most calculated brothers. He dots I's and he crosses T's. Absolutely. Uh, but I want to give you an opportunity to, to talk to the audience about this all-important thing about home ownership and how they can contact with Brooks and Davis. Absolutely. So, I mean, it's real easy, right? Um, well, we and the reason
1: we make it so easy is because it's very important right? So you can go to our YouTube channel. We're on YouTube. Just type in Brooks and Davis real estate firm. You can go to Facebook. We have a Facebook business page, Brooks and Davis real estate firm. Um, but if you're really ready to have a conversation with somebody, reach out to us, call the office and the number is 713-665-8329. Look, it's no pressure. We're not going to make you do anything that you don't want to do, but if it's something that you want to do, we're going to guide you and we're going to hold your hand through the process to be able to achieve the outcome that you want. So again, that number is 713-665-8329. And then we'll connect you with one of our realtors and get you to that next phase. Even if it's just you just have a lot of questions that you want to get answered, we'll answer those questions and make sure we put you in the right place.
0: And so I am a witness of this. Um, I'm highly recommending Brooks and Davis Um, It's a great company, man, and and even more so than the work ethic uh, behind Brooks and Davis is the spiritual aspect that this brother is a born-again believer in Christ Jesus and loves him with all of his heart, his mind, and his soul. Uh, So, Michael, I want to thank you again for joining us here on Studio B, man. I hope um, that the content that we talked about today is encouraging somebody that no matter where you are right now, no matter what your situation is right now, no matter how good, how bad, how indifferent, Start right there Absolutely Drop a seed right there Water that seed And watch what it'll Produce in your life So all of those Who are watching Make sure that you Like, share, subscribe Go to our uh, YouTube page Click subscribe Hit that little bell To the right To make sure that you Don't miss One episode of Studio B We'll see you next week